Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a very special, very Christmassy episode of Loose Units. We are taking a break from work cover and we're going to be celebrating Christmas with you, our listeners. So, Dad, how are you feeling uh, this this very festive day? Are I you- feel um, <clears throat> jolly yep. and happy. Um, you don't look it. I mean... <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, I laugh inside a lot. Right, yeah. No, I'm really happy. I'm stoked. I think that's an arrhythmia. Anyway, look, I wanted to kick this Christmas episode off with something very, very special. Now, Tegan brought this to my attention uh, a couple of months back. This is from a listener, and this is a story that she sent for us, but uh, I wanted to save it for this Christmas episode. So, I'm now going to read you what she sent to us. Hi, Paul and John. Just listening to your latest podcast from Hoi An in Vietnam. Loving your work. Can I tell you both something funny? Aside from loving your broadcasts, I use you guys as a security measure when my husband travels for work. We live in a quiet part of Hoi An, but there is a ridiculously high rate of break-ins to expat homes. Case in point, we've been broken into four times in the last eight months and had several attempted break-ins at night. So what I often do is close all the curtains, leave a light on in the living room and stream you two through a portable speaker to give the impression that there's two men talking in the house and it bloody well works. The only downside is the elderly couple next door got to thinking that when Rob, my husband, is away, I'm hosting strange men in our home. Double-edged sword. Anyway, Thank you from Vietnam. Cheers, Jen Fitzgerald. Story. Isn't that great? That's incredible. So lovely. Oh, my God. Well, we hope you're having a great Christmas, Jen. I hope we get a royalty for that every time she plays it. Right, every time we foil a robbery? Yeah, like a part commission. Oh, sure. That's an idea. All right, let's, we'll, we'll, we can, we'll, we'll give, work something out. We'll give her our PayPal details. It's totally yeah, but- fine. Anyway, as part of this Christmas episode, I actually wanted to give mum a call. Is that okay? Fantastic. All right, here we go. Good afternoon. Hello. Um, please, everyone, give a big hand uh, wherever you are to star of the two-parter Mum's the Word on Loose Units, uh, Christine Verhoeven. Mum, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, except for the very smoky conditions in Sydney today. They were absolutely appalling. So, yes, yes. Okay. And, of course, yeah, there we go. But as far as the podcast go, I really enjoyed uh, telling stories and, of course, now, since the podcast, I've managed to think about quite a few more stories that I never got to tell. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> we were so worried that you wouldn't, because you just seemed to imply that you're, you know, it wasn't a big deal what you did. And there wasn't that much to talk about. But the second I got you in front of the microphone, you just completely went off and told your own stories. Have you, um, what did, what did, what did it feel like to listen to yourself talking about being in the police force? It didn't sound like me when I first listening to the, the first podcast, I thought, gosh, it's me. But it just 
because your own perception of how your voice sounds. And I don't often listen to myself speaking, so <laughs> it was good. And I was quite – and I don't actually remember a lot of what I said in detail, in fine detail. I remember the stories that I touched on, but I don't remember all that fine detail. So I was obviously – in the zone. So, I mean, you've just implied a bunch of new stories. Does that mean you want to come back and do another episode or are you happy to oh, let that? I don't know. I don't know. I might just have to wait and see. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. um, given that you're here and dad's here, <clears throat> uh, yes. I, th- I was wondering if the two of you wanted to maybe talk about what it was like to um, grow up in the Verhoeven household and do Christmas because this is a Christmas episode. So, what was it like? Um, what was Christmas like for the two of you with, with me as a kid? Well, Paul, you you were very demanding, like a nightmare <laughs> nightmare child. If you were to do a documentary on, you know, and you wouldn't go to sleep. Right. And we always got you very complicated toys that re- sort of involved a lot of preparation in putting them together. Right. So mum and I would sort of drug you three kids with uh, Valium, uh, which didn't work. Sure. And not true, not true, not true. No, no, no. But um, And then Christine would always make me eat a lot of weird stuff that when you kids woke up in the morning, it looked as though Santa had been there. When you say weird stuff, oh, I, like I assume mum your cookies, cookies and milk, stuff that, that I don't that's particularly... It's not, not weird. Yeah, but I, I, looking back, I probably should have just thrown them away. Right. But morally, I thought I really should because I don't like wastage. <laughs> that sounds weird, but... Yeah. So hang on, Mum. Was it your idea to have Santa Claus? I'm doing rabbit fingers. Was it your idea to have Dad's Santa eat part of the cookies and drink part of the milk and leave some over as like evidence? Were you planting? Because this is a, this is a very forensic, very policey thing to leave behind evidence well, of a crime. And that was that was Dad's job. That was his Christmas responsibility. Mm. So. <laughs> that looks very unimpressed. At what point did you become a Grinch about Christmas, Dad? Paul, I'm not a Grinch, but. I did have this beautiful Christmas music that we used to play mm. every year. Yeah. And um, until I sold the whole collection in a garage sale. That, that's the spirit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like I sell everything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, and quite often doing shift work, I'd be working, uh, you know, as, as a police officer or a fireman. Sure. And, and, and well, some, sometimes poor mum was there by herself. I, I can, I'll cut in there for a minute, if I may, yes. to say yes. that out of the 21 years that your father was either a full-time like a police officer or a full-time fire brigade, um, I can remember probably maybe three Christmas, three to four Christmas days where he was actually at home for that, for the Christmas morning, in all those years. So m- maybe he was home in the afternoon or maybe he was home the night before, but it was always, you know, that's just how it panned out. But we always, we worked around it. We worked around it. Yeah. Okay. But, he, but, he, but he always had the responsibility of eating um, Santa's <laughs> cooking. Or, or in later years, it became more sophisticated and, and it was a fruit mince tart mm. that mm. left out. Well, we, at least we I like those. Um, that's but, right. but it was very prolonged. And get, I was, it was my job to give out the presents. And I'm, I stretched it out for as long as I possibly could, I could until your kids were absolutely just losing it. And why? Why would you do that? Well, I just thought it was really good to stretch things out. Why? And then I, I also, at the end of the whole occasion, I would, within minutes, do you recall I used to get rid of the Christmas tree that morning? 
Oh, Jesus. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Hey, just just quickly, we have someone else in the studio here. Uh, Tegan Higginbotham, my <laughs> wife, and the, you know, the producer and, and road manager of this fiasco. Tegan, you have been holding something in for the past few minutes about Christmas. I mean, because your, your family's very Christmassy. They are. Yeah, look, I mean, I really, I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to Christine and John's take on this. But what do you mean you took down the Christmas tree on the morning I of did. Christmas? No, you I, psycho. And all, there was no sign of Christmas within probably oh, half humbug. an hour. Oh, <laughs> but it's true, isn't it, Christine? Yes, you pack the tree up, put all the wrapping in the bin and make all the kids <laughs> put, their, put their toys and their presents in their room. So within an hour of the Christmas present opening, there was no visible sign that it was oh, ever Christmas. You know what? It actually sounds worse now talking about it. Yeah, it's almost like the thing you did was monstrous. You know, well, what's funny, I remember I remember distinctly, uh, Tegan, I was given a, uh, a Nintendo Game Boy. Uh, mm. I was given it on Christmas morning and uh, they made me return it the next day. Made me go straight back to Kmart and return it. Why? Mum and Dad, why? Um, I don't recall that. Really? You don't, you don't remember that? Mum, do you remember why? Oh, gosh. Um... Gosh, no, I can't remember why. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, okay, here's the thing. I remember why. It's because I played Tetris for two hours and you thought, that's concerning. And so you yanked it off me, put it back in the packaging and drove it straight back to Kmart to get a, to get a refund. Wow, that, you, yeah. I, I don't think we'd do that. You did do that. You did a whole bunch of stuff. You apparently- Don't look at me. I wasn't there. <laughs> oh, God. Paul's obviously scarred. And- yeah. Wow. I just, look, I just think it's interesting how different families have different approaches to Christmas. I do find it very interesting, Tegan, I'm sure you'll agree, that mum and dad basically created a Christmas crime scene. Because that's, that's trace evidence, leaving out bits of cookies and bits of milk so we as kids deduce who was there. Mm. Now, I am very much OCD with cleaning. <laughs> I absolutely. I clean our apartment floor with methylated spirits. Sounds... I love it. Yep. Um, and to leave crumbs on purpose <laughs> was so traumatic for me. And knowing that I had to leave them overnight, it was just, just I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Also, we're in Sydney, and Sydney has a bit of a problem with cockroaches. Uh, cockroaches. Yeah. So basically, it was like a big gamble. When do you when do you remember the the point where we transitioned from believing in Santa Claus, who for listeners is absolutely real, uh, into not believing in Santa Claus? Mum, Dad, do you remember? Well, I'd like to uh, say something on that topic, if I may. Yeah, please. Um, you being the eldest of three children, and when your young your young brother yep. was probably about seven or eight years old. He'd already worked it out. And your sister, who's a couple of years younger than you, she'd worked it out. But you, whether you'd worked it out or not, you decided you want to be in total denial. No, don't want to know. Don't tell me those things. No, Santa's real. So you prolonged it in your own mind as long as possible till probably you started high school. And you had to then (laughs) reluctantly you went, oh, it, it, it pains me to admit that. It's not real. But, may, but maybe, maybe it is real. I feel like we should have sat down and had this chat before I married Paul, Christine, because it's explaining so much. What do you mean? How dare you? Okay, well, Tegan, how old were you when you found out that Santa was, wasn't, you know? I'd, I'd kind of probably cottoned on at roughly the same age my big sister did because we'd been discussing a few discrepancies in the, in the Santa stories together. Mm. We'd been, you know, figuring it out, solving the crime. But it was my big sister, Catherine, who brought it to the parents. And I specifically remember it was one Christmas morning. She said to mum and dad, I don't think Santa's real. So they went, okay. 
and they asked Catherine to come into their bedroom for a chat. And about 10, year, 10, 10 minutes later, she came out clearly having been bawling her eyes out, was like, no, he's true. He's all true. And clearly they'd gone, don't tell your sisters. So she was in on the secret. But by then, I think for me, I was already like, why is Santa's handwriting exactly like mum's? What's with that? Yeah, you know? yeah. Why does Santa's toys have price tags on it? That doesn't make sense. Well, I got pulled into a bit of a Christmas thing with you, mum. My sister, Anne, who's the, the middle of three kids, uh, she got given a Barbie's Fold and Fun House. And mum, you grabbed me one evening and you basically, Anne was in bed at this point, and you needed my help building it. Now, it's interesting that I was involved in the building of a toy which was ostensibly apparently from Santa Claus, and yet, and yet I still maintained that fiction. The reason that you probably got pulled into that particular um, activity was that you were an avid um, const- uh, constructor of Lego and Meccano, and you were very good at putting things together. So mm. I knew that, you know, desperate times needed <laughs> <laughs> desperate measures. So I thought, you know, your father had become a little bit unraveled trying to put together the final details of this this pink Barbie motorhome that also had a seat and room for Ken yeah, yeah. to hang out in with Barbie. So, in sin, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, but maybe that's because I'd come up with a really good plan by that stage of some of the presents were from Santa on the card and some were for mum and dad. Right. So this was obviously a mum and dad present, Interesting. I imagine. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, okay. So there was yeah. a degree of collaboration there because, Tegan, you mentioned this morning something that your mum uh, used to do that you just remembered regarding presents about sharing the credit. Yeah, I think that um, as as we got older, mum got a bit miffed with having to give Santa all the, cre- the credit on Christmas morning. So she'd be like, oh, no, we, we helped Santa with this one. The really big presents, mum seemed to want to, uh, you know, imply that she'd chipped in with Santa Claus, which once again, she was really just breaking, breaking the whole illusion. But I think that when mum and dad, you know, because we didn't always have the most money mm. in our household, and they really like to go all out at Christmas. So if they put all their savings into getting us a Nintendo 64 or something, they want a little bit of credit, <laughs> you know? They want a little bit of a little bit of the love. No, absolutely. And I mean, because uh, Tegan, you and I and um, mum and dad and your mum and dad spent Christmas in London a couple of years back mm-hmm. in Notting Hill in an apartment just above the bench that uh, Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts um, hook up on in the film Notting Hill. And that was like a, just a pure pure idyllic white Christmas. But, I mean, in the opposite direction, I assume, Mum and Dad, that you both uh, would have seen a fair bit of crime on public holidays because I read somewhere that there's a lot of emergency room activity on public holidays. Do the two of you uh, remember having dealt with anything uh, on Christmas? Do you remember any Christmas crimes? I remember that Christmas used to, um, as as it does, Christmas, uh, it seems to have a lot of positive you know, positive connotations, of course, it's a celebration, family time, but Mm. then it also brings a lot of feelings up, like people that don't have families or they have disagreements with people in the family or whatever. So there can be a a very much an escalation in domestic violence around Christmas. Mm. Because you've got alcohol alcohol and things like that. Plus, Mm. a lot of family, quite frankly, do not want to be together and they come together on that day perhaps to please their parents, no matter how old the siblings are. Mm. 
you know, the, the, the kids could be in their 50s and it's this sort of amalgam of, you know, it's all, it's not real. I'm, I'm talking worst case scenario. Obviously, there are most families love hanging out, but, you know, there are situations. And then I think funerals as well, where it brings out the best and the worst. Mm. Um, I mean, how, I mean, I remember a particular story when I was a policeman at Mossman where I had to uh, deliver a death message on Christmas Day. Whoa. To a family in Mossman. Mm. And they inv- and I knocked on the door. I was with a female police officer, not not your mother. And um, you know they they were so excited to see us, and they said, "Come in, join the festivities." <sighs> and we went into this beautiful house in Mossman, and there were so many people there. It was a really great occasion. We had to tell them that their nineteen-year-old daughter had fallen in Europe in an abseiling accident. Was so fucked up. Oh my god! So that's sort of, and and then, then you've got to think about all the emergency service workers across the world, nurses, doctors, paramedics, fireys, police. Think about all those people that are working that day. Yeah, and they're away from their family, mm. so they they then sort of have little parties and perhaps try and bring family around. Police can't do that. Fireys can. So yeah, that's the other side. People at Seven Eleven too. They have to work on Christmas. Yeah, you're right. It's exactly the it's same. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. <laughs> so um, they should. Mum <laughs> and Dad, you both worked in the emergency services. Did you ever find it difficult to get into the spirit of things, you know, like Christmas or Easter or whatever, you know, like important, apparently fun, celebratory events when in your work days you were dealing with such tragedy? Or did that help you enjoy those things more? Christine, can you tell them what we used to do down at, uh, in Manly with the kids every Christmas? In relation ah, to... okay. Well, we used to, um, actually, I was just talking to someone at my workplace this morning, how she's a qualified psychologist. So she goes off every Christmas and works at Lifeline for half the day with all the calls coming in of people, you know, needing to chat to someone. Um, and we, on a similar note, um, used to go down to one of the local churches in our area in Manly, and they used to put on a lunch for all of the local people that they could have been homeless, maybe they had no relatives, no family to spend time with on Christmas Day. Mm. Um, they they may have just wanted to come along to have company, you know. And so we would take the children from a very early age every single Christmas Day down to help feed, give out the food and the presents and spend time with these people. So that would be three or four hours of our Christmas Day every year for many, many years. And that was you know, giving something back to the community. And, and also um, making people, our kids, realise that not everyone was as well off, not financially, yeah. just emotionally, As and that's really important. Um, and firemen, mm. firemen, I know that in Sydney they put a huge, uh, like a Santa Claus decoration on the front of all the fire engines and they yeah. put tinsel and, you know, it's, and kids come round to the station on Christmas Day. Mm. and Yeah, you don't want to cast the downer on Christmas Day at all, but the thing is that just to be mindful, I suppose, of all the different sets of circumstances of people, you know, that m- may have family, but you just don't know what that family situation is mm. like. And or, things are going to happen or, on Christmas Day. There are going to be car accidents. Yeah. There are going to be disasters. And, and, and yeah. what happens on those days is that the, the media tends to polarise 
these things. Like if there's a bushfire happening, it'll be just more, all that more intense because it's Christmas. Right. Okay. Okay. It's like the stakes become higher. Um, this does tie into a question actually from Michelle Parry who asked, uh, are there any Christmas traditions in the stations you both worked for or any funny Christmas stories? At my friend's work, they do Secret Santa and the boss always gets a mankini. I think it's been five years in a row. So, <laughs> mum and dad, uh, when you were working and stationed at the stations, were there any Christmas traditions that you went through? Christine? No, not not for me. Not that I can remember. Apart from having, as soon as you finished the shift, if it was Christmas, you'd go and have Christmas drinks or have a meal or just the standard type of celebration. But um, being, you know, one of the few women there, maybe there was some sort of tradition that I didn't know about. I don't know. No, <laughs> no. I see, I see. Was yeah. there something you were... Okay. No, but, but in the fire stations, big time. Really? Massive, massive. Someone would be delegated, normally the ladder drivers because they never get called out. Which was were you a ladder driver? I was. Okay. Um, and you'd prepare. You'd put tables together, and you'd 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 go hard. And some people even dressed up as, you know, whatever. I have what to it- admit, this is something that I had forgotten about. But my parents were both CFA when they were living up in the Dandenong Ranges, mm. and because the the way that things go in Australia, summer is Christmas and it is the time that things are burning. Uh, The the station was always really busy around Christmas time. Mm. And I remember, Paul, one of the first times you went up to the Dandenong Ranges, you met my mum and dad at the station and Santa Claus arrived in the fire truck and, oh, boy, was I excited. And this fire truck would go around the hills and people were really excited Mm. to see Santa Mm. in the fire truck and it was it was just the sort of thing that was done every single year. Yeah, it's just a, it's a shame reindeer aren't flame retardant. Um, <laughs> I have a question for all three of you, actually. This is from John Chandler. How is Paul so sheltered and naive? Was it a conscious decision to keep work from him? Um, so I know, I know you're all going to have different... Uh, different. I, I guess one narrative that's come up throughout this show, Mum, Dad, Tegan, is how different I turned out from you, Dad, and from you, Mum. So uh, why do you think I'm so sheltered and naive? Uh, is what I don't John think you're asking. naive, Paul. Really? Yeah. No. You enjoyed living in this, um, you had a, all of our kids, but you especially had incredible or still have an incredible imagination. So you lived in, not out of touch with reality, but you had your own, My own reality. imagination and fantasy world that you created or that you, you know, and I mean, when you were seven or eight years old, you read Lord of the Rings, like you were very advanced as far as reading skills and creativity went so i think you were just in a different zone and also we didn't so, have the tv and uh the kids would um particularly um paul and Anne, because they were older is that they would uh do a christmas presentation every year of um the, the magic, magic pudding. pudding and it was brilliant that's i used right. to know i used to know it was verbatim yeah, and it was really good that's that's because we deprived our children of tv yeah if you dep- <laughs> you know we, it's it's like if you- a, a social experiment that 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 was very successful. It's like if you go, you know, if they say if you go blind, your other senses get heightened. So de- by depriving me of the joy of television, all my other um, personality traits got ramped up to unhealthy levels. So, Tegan, what about you? Are you asking if I think you're naive? Well, what do you think of my worldview? I mean, looking at Dad and looking at me and looking at how different we are. Like- I've, you know, we've had a lot of discussions about the fact that I really like the way you like things, which is that you are somebody who is so passionate about the things you love. And sometimes that means that around you, uh, the rest of the world could be on fire and you don't notice it as much. Well, it is now. <laughs> much of it is now. So, that- But no, you're a really passionate person and I agree with your dad. I don't think it's naive. But at the same time, I also see that, that this must have been quite an effort on John and Christine's part, the fact that you did have these incredibly dangerous, traumatic, sometimes 
you know, the things you saw would have been really disturbing. And to have these three kids who still lived really happy and, you know, carefree lives that weren't affected by that, I think that would have taken a lot of work on your part. Mm. Yeah. There you go, John. That's a. Did you just call me John? No, John Chandler is the one who asked the question. Oh, fuck. I wouldn't. I'm not one of those guys who calls their dad by their first name. No, that would that's be. Weird. That'd be weird. Uh, I got a question here from um, uh, Kim Smith for for mum and dad. Is there any piece of parenting philosophy that the two of you put into practice based on your time and experiences in the force? Most definitely, Kristen. You go first. Well, you, you... out of our three children, we we decided because of lots of different um, circumstances to do with both of working in the emergency services, the police force, but also with our, both of our families that were very, very strict that we thought, you know what, we're not going to have any curfews. We're just going to, you know, let our kids, like, be there to guide them and give them, try and develop a good moral compass, mm. but not, you know, but let them decide, like, let them be in, have a little bit more responsibility for their own actions and make decisions based on sound judgment, which hopefully they we instilled into them. And it turned out really well for Paul and his younger sister, Anne. Um, it was a whole different story for our youngest well, Mark, Mark son, was Mark. Mark was a, a rat bag, but so was I as a yeah, young kid. Yeah. I was, you know, he's, and my mother's like, like that too. Are Some you of the horrendous stories my mother's told me about when she was a young kid. Are you surprised that, uh, Mum and Dad, are you surprised that none of your kids ended up in the police force or the emergency services? Um, no. Oh, I don't think any of you kids were, were ever destined to do that. Okay. Ever. Um, but we, it, it, was, it was very tough. I mean, parenting is a really, really tough gig. Do you think policing prepared you for parenting? Um, I, think, I think it meant that we always had eyes in the back of our head, right. so to speak. You can't, you could never bullshit to us, ever. We, 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 we could just look at you without you even opening your mouth, and we knew exactly what you'd mm. done. But kids think they're getting away with it. All kids universally think when they tell a lie to their parents, they're getting away with it. All parents know what the kids are thinking, but the, the kids, the parents let things, a lot of things slide. They don't, just because the parent doesn't say anything doesn't mean they're. It's like with old people. You look at really, really old people and you think, you know what, they're losing their marbles. Maybe some are, but most of them actually, they see everything. They have wisdom. And it's really, it's fascinating. Um, But, yeah, to think that you kids thought, but I thought I could bullshit my father. And and he tells me that, you, you know, he knew. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I got away. But no, I, I think I think yeah. Yeah, I know. I think I've, the emergency I've... services did have an influence in that we were open-minded yeah. about a lot of things, but we also were very, very much acutely aware exactly what was happening all the time with our children yeah. from a young age, and when that you were teenagers, and we could it was like we had this inbuilt radar. We just knew what was happening, and if we needed to intervene, we would. Um, and if it wasn't necessary, we wouldn't. We'd just leave you guys to work it out. All right, here's a question for the two of you. Um, you've got a daughter-in-law now, Tegan. Hello. Do you think Tegan would have made a good cop based <laughs> um, on your time with her? Yes, definitely. Really? Why? Well, I think the police force needs more smart women. Mm. Not. Does it, did that, how does that sound when I said that? Sounds Is great. That, you sure? Yeah. Because that's not implying I hope that there aren't enough no, no, I see. What, no, I think but, it sounds nice. It's a, okay. it's a lovely compliment. And also, Tegan's uh, very switched on and savvy, mm. and intuitive, and uh, and could be a great role model. Oh, um, for for up and coming, I think it's really important to have a diversity mm. within every organisation. How about you, Mum? You were, you know, you were. Well, a- you don't want stereotypical, whatever that may be. I don't know mm. changes with each decade, but. Um, you know, it, it's people have this idea about what type of personality you should be to join particular jobs, especially the emergency services. But if someone has a yearning and they want to make a difference in the world and they feel like um, that's for them, well, then and, and, and they psychologically, like if they tick all the boxes as far as um, the criteria for joining, well, then great, you know, but you do need... It's like in the police force, you've got people that um, work in in roles in the police force even now where they're not really going out and arresting criminals, mm. but they're, they're helping in the education of young people or they're mentoring or um, there's other roles. There's many, many different areas you can work in. So That's true. Uh, that's, that's very true. Yeah. But I, I know that Tegan's skills, uh, at least the things she wants to do, involve car chases, disguises, <laughs> repelling down buildings. Um, I mean, I, I believe the two of you have been driven around by Tegan at various points. How would you rate her uh, driving? <clears throat> well, we just did that road trip. We did. And um, I would describe Tegan as a... Uh, more than competent driver. Thank you. Right, that's a, <laughs> a glowing compliment from the Vulcan in the room. Just quickly, Mum, do you need to go soon or do you have a few more minutes? Now, I'm going to sign off because 
this particular government agency I work for has got some stuff coming up this afternoon that I need to attend to. Oh, so that sounds like MI5. That's that's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just can't. No more details, but I need to get going any minute. All right, okay? mum's, mum's loading a grappling hook, and uh, she'll be zipping yeah. out a skylight very soon. Yeah. Uh, mum, um, is there anything else you want to say in closing to the uh, listeners of the show? I hope everybody has a very safe, happy Christmas, and that wherever. All of the listeners are with family, friends are on their own or off, you know, working, whatever you need to do on Christmas Day, it's it's all okay. It's every Christmas Day, there's no standard measure of what you should be doing or who you should be with or how you should feel. It's another day and you spend it how you want to spend it, basically. Christine, I had no idea you were so wise. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love, love you, Mum. Merry Christmas. Right. Bye, sweetie. Over and out to everybody. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 That was nice. Wasn't that great? Okay, so Tegan, um, you're yes. here on a police podcast. I know. Uh, yeah, what have your run-ins with the police been like? Tegan, do you, will, will I be upset? No. No. <laughs> because, you know, we did this road trip. Um, let's just get, get this off my whatever. Okay, go. Because why is it, Tegan, that every single police station we see Mm -hmm. you have this standard phrase you use which one is it what's the one about just come on think about it i is it uh i'll know know it um, it's like there's the such and such yeah what do i say again uh it's the popo i call them the popo it's the popo no 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 it's not that it's it's the popo um i call them Okay, so what happened was, is years ago, I I used to go to the football with my dad. That's the thing that we did as our bonding thing. I know you don't like big football stadiums filled with supporters. I do. That's my jam. So my dad and I would go to the football. And one time we're at the game and this police helicopter flew really low over the stadium. And without missing a beat, my dad's looked up and gone, pigs in space. And I thought... It was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Wow. Wow, you've set set your humour bar low, haven't you? So whenever I see the police, I say, there's the pig. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Because here's the thing. I actually really love the police, and I've always had really wonderful run-ins with them. Because, um, I mean, if you've had a run-in, it's well, not no, been not good. runnings, interactions. Yeah, sure. um, I say it from a place of actual genuine love. Because I grew up in a bit of a, um, a not a great suburb. The suburb I grew up in was called Dandenong. Mm. Uh, if you're New South Wales, I believe the equivalent is it's Ma- kind of like Parramatta, Blacktown, Blacktownish, kind of that sort of stuff. Um, Mount Druitt, maybe we're going to get letters. I think uh, in, in South people. Australia, I've been told that it's Alexandria or Alexandria, something I, like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, it was a really, really rough suburb. Um, so much so that I remember after I'd left high school, I was at a pub with a load of other people who just, you know, graduated year 12. And I started reflecting black, back on all the times that the police officers had visited our schools, you know, for just little lessons about law stuff, like what to do if you get arrested or what a policeman's badge is called or, you know, various things about the law. What do you mean what a policeman's badge is called? It's called, it's called, a, fi- it's called a five-pointed suppository. <laughs> we were that? told it was called a Freddy and that we have the right to ask police officers to see their badge if they're trying to arrest us. Where's your Freddy? Yeah, where's your Freddy, basically. And all the other kids which they would have been back then, all the other young people around this table were like, excuse me, what do you mean the police came to your school on a regular basis to give you lessons? And I was like, you know, when the police come to your school and tell you what to do if you get arrested. (laughs) And they were like, um, 
that doesn't happen at other schools. No. And it was just because I went to this really shit school. Oh. But, you know, I, from a really young age, had been uh, quite independent and I'd walk myself to Dandenong train station, which is a really dangerous station, and hop on the train and take myself into the city to do things like do night classes at VCA. And I remember one particular time there was a um, there was this police officer who was on the platform. I've gotten on the train, and then he got on the train and came and stood near me. And I, by this stage, I was panicking. I thought I'd done something wrong. And he's like, "If it's all right, love, I'm just gonna I'm gonna stand next to you for a couple of stops, if that's all right." I just don't like the look of some of the people on this state on this train. And it was then that I looked around and went, oh, yeah, they're all dodgy. Like mm, that's everyone. That's nice of that placement to do And that. he mm. did that. And so the honest truth wow. is whenever I've been pulled over, it's been the nicest interactions. I've spoken with a lot of female police officers over the years and they are – I've got a lot of respect. And for me, police officers have always been a, a, a very um, – a very supportive presence. When I see cops, I have a very positive response. Uh, so I, whenever I make fun, it is truly mm. probably no, because you're cool. in the car and I, I like the no, idea cool. of rubbing you up the wrong way. Speaking of um, being in the car, yes. how did you find road tripping with Dad and I um, during the drive from Melbourne to Bendigo to Mount Druitt, Horsham, across to Adelaide? Did you find that particularly interesting? What, what did you learn from the two of us? Um, well, I've learned that you don't know where we went because we certainly didn't drive to Mount Druitt. Um, Sorry, Mount Mount. Gambia. <laughs> there was a dormant volcano. It was beautiful. Um, I actually really enjoyed the road trip. I, I like driving and I like seeing a lot of different things in Australia. And I like, you know, you've got, John, very fascinating stories. And I like that that there are a lot of things you can't talk about on the podcast because they're either too intense or a little bit contentious or just not okay to share. So I like that I get a lot of those behind the scenes stories as well. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I I I thought I thought it was really fun, and I really I- did like getting to meet so many people along the way. Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, Mum's gone. But Tegan, uh, what, of course, what do you mean gone. Well, she left the call. Yes, but gone sounds rather no gone by like objectively means she's just not here anymore. She's still around. Though. I was just hit by a thought though. Mm. I know what your mum's job is. Yes. Uh, which you know we're not saying, but or at least I know what your mum says her job is. But imagine if your mum's a spy. Ah, well, here's the thing. Growing up, everybody thought my parents were spies because, Tegan, you've got a friend. Okay, so I'm sitting in the schoolyard and people are like, okay, so what does your dad do? Mm-hmm. My dad's a garbage man. My dad's an accountant. And I said, well, my dad's a cop, but Did also- Did you go to school in Northern England? Yes, I went to- You know that. You sent me to school in Suffolk. It was lovely. <laughs> so anyway, I'm in Suffolk. I'm at Suffolk High. And I'm sitting there having to explain to other kids how my dad is a police officer, but also a PI, also a fireman, also worked at a funeral home and after a certain point they expected when they came over to the house you know where you press a bookshelf and it clicks open and there's guns with silencers and night vision goggles and everyone thought my dad was a spy and now the irony being that that sort of stuff would have more likely been found at my parents house because my dad was not a spy my dad was a painter and decorator mm. uh, but, but was he really a painter and decorator? i know right because one thing that my dad liked to do yeah um no don't say liked as if it's in the past tense no he likes to do you're absolutely right is build hidden cupboards and secret drawers and things in the house and you know, I have an interesting story, I suppose, about Christmas that I can talk about later, but yeah. there was an interesting two-year period in my very, very close family, because we were close, mm. where I'd had a falling out with my parents and we didn't see each other for two Christmases, which was a really big deal for us. We can talk about more that more another time. But one of the times that I finally, we all started seeing each other again was during fire season. 
So it was about this time of the year, many, many years ago. And Paul, you were with me and we went up to my parents' house mm. up in the mountains. May I describe the house? Yes, please do. It's setting to a hill at about 45 degrees. It's way down a big driveway. It's it's Tolkien-esque up there. It's like there's there's it's like basically a rainforest. Mm. So the house is this beautiful multi-story house nestled into the woods and it's if, if it, oh God, the fire hazards there are crazy, right? So, so you're, bad, yeah. Your mum and dad, obviously, I think I I just met them. And they had gotten in contact and it was, you know, we weren't at the best place, but they went, look, we need your help. Mm. Uh, we've both been called out today. We're, we're, you know, they were the CFA and they'd both been called out on duty or whatever it was called. Dad was some sort of fire captain situation. And um, they went, we need you to go to the house and get our fire safety box, which is the box that most people in fire prone areas will know about. It's where you put all your legal documents, all the stuff that you cannot have go up in flames. How big would you say this thing is? Uh, oh, gosh. Well, it fits a lot of A4 documents. I don't know. I'm not really good with sizes. It's a hefty little box. Sure. And, uh, you know, you put all your favorite jewelry in there, just stuff like that. I don't know. So they've gone, we need you to swing by the house because the fire rating today is off the charts. Mm. The hills are in a lot of danger. And we can't get back to the house. Get the firebox, get the dog, and leave. So you came up with me that day. And I've walked into my parents' house, haven't been there for a while. It's feeling a bit emotional, a bit strange. And then we go around trying to find the fire safety box. But Dad, in all of his wisdom, has hidden it in a secret cavity in the wall that you had to literally knock on to get the damn oh, thing to open. It was like if you press on, it was like a gargoyle and you press the eye in and you hear a wet click from a, di- and like yeah. a distant recess. It was like, it was Last Crusade bullshit. So you must have think I'm a nutbag because I'm walking around my parents' house knocking on all the walls trying to find this goddamn box that I know he's hidden somewhere. Now, here's the thing. I don't think your dad's a spy. I think he's a Christmas elf in disguise. He is. Well, one of the, one of the stories that I love about my dad is... um. You know, parents do all these wonderful things to convince their children that Santa Claus is real, mm. which he is for any children listening. Uh, but um, one of the great things that my dad used to do is we used to put the letters in the fireplace at Christmas time and the letters would get taken by the fairies to Santa and then we'd get gifts. And what my dad did is every year he would, I don't know, he must have done this very late at night. That's the only time I can imagine he did it. He would tie fishing wire to the letters <laughs> Thread that fishing wire all the way up the chimney, all the way over the entire roof of the house and down to the lounge room window. And then at the end of that fishing wire, he would tie, I guess it must have been a, a rock or a stick or, or something a like brick that. brick or something. Something yeah. quite heavy. Mm. So then when we'd all be hanging out in the lounge room, you know, playing, watching TV, mum would go, oh, did somebody see the letters move? We'd look at the fireplace, dad would drop the brick and the letters would shoot up the chimney. <laughs> That's wonderful. It is. It was wonderful because then when we were at school and kids were saying things like, Santa's not real, we'd be like, um, we've seen it. Do you know what my mum and dad did for Christmas? What did they do? They bought a bunch of secondhand toys and threw a sheet over them. <laughs> <laughs> Hang and on. I'd go out, that I'd so go out that night when they were in bed and I'd then look under the sheet, look under the sheet and I would see what I was going to be given, all these... Secondhand Japanese wind-up toys because I always wanted a push bike and I went to this. I'm sure everyone knows I went to a girls' school. <laughs> no, I did. What do you mean? I'm sure everybody knows that. Well, haven't I, didn't I mentioned know it that. before? Are you serious? No, in no. Armadale, there there were no. My parents wanted me to go to a Catholic school, and, oh, right. and the bishop said to my mother, who was a teacher, "Well, you'll have that to come like here the and start teach." Of a joke. The yeah. bishop said to me, "Mum." I know. Anyway, so so a cop walks into a girls' school. <laughs> Um, so Catholic basically, uh, yeah, I went to this this girls' school right. called St Mary's. I was in the, I was the first boy. Well, there were a few boys, 
that's a whole. That's a. There's a whole podcast in this. But I mean, I don't know if there is. But please, no, there actually is. Oh, okay. But um, <laughs> but I won't go into all the, the the details. Suffice to say that um, we lived a long way away from the school, and everyone had a push bike except me. And then somehow or other, my dad found this. I don't know, hundred year old push bike made of cast iron. <laughs> I didn't. I'd never seen or have never heard of since a cast iron bike. It weighed so much in kilos in today's weight. I reckon it weighed maybe forty kilos. And my father, being Dutch, get ready for this. He went and bought some shitty enamel paint and he painted the bike in red, white, and blue, the colours of the Dutch and also French flag. Mm. And uh, and the paint never dried. <laughs> and I was learning to ride this incredibly. He did. In fairness, he painted it and he did buy a new seat, but everything else on it was pretty rat shit. And the, the exciting thing about the bike was that on a Friday afternoon, and I'm only maybe six or seven years old, you got to ride out to um, the sports ground. Yeah. And everyone comes out to the bike racks. I could feel the adrenaline pumping through my little veins. I think that was probably just the lead-based paint, but anyway. True, true, true. <laughs> anyway, um, I went to hop on my bike and I denutted myself as the chain came off. Oh, jeez. And my, my testicles just smashed onto the crossbar. Is this how you ended up at a girls' school? And then, um, and then I had to push this bike home. And on the way home, I found there was a rope yeah. on it because I used to go over this rickety old bridge. Uh-huh. And I pulled the rope up and it was full of cats that someone had drowned. Your oh, upbringing fuck. sounds absolutely horrifying. Isn't that terrible? Okay, so that's much worse than my I didn't get a Game Boy for more than a day story. <laughs> yeah, yours didn't end in dead cats. No, and they very rarely do. Tegan, Yo. what's your most disappointing Christmas story? Well, Just to make everyone at home who's listening on Christmas Day feel better if their Christmas isn't going too great. All right, honestly. Yep. Okay, there's there's the funny ones, which is where we would literally hide from our extended family, like hide behind the couch, duck down, don't make noise because we hated them. <laughs> so we would just pretend to be out of That's house. That's great. Which you could never do because back then most families had one car. We yeah. certainly did. Dad's car is clearly in the front. We're clearly home. Sure. But we would get down and hide because... Wait, the whole family? Adults too? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, your parents are the size of family. So that works. <laughs> um, but no, honestly, the, a few years ago, it was the two years before I met you uh-huh. when I wasn't speaking with my family anymore. They were rough Christmases because to, to go from a family where Christmas was everything, we were a Christmas household, to then spending those two years by myself, it was really tricky. And I know that there could be a lot of listeners who are going through that. And the interesting thing about Loose Units is you guys have a clearly wonderful relationship and I get to see a few of the people who write messages who say how remarkable it is that you guys get along so well and I know it isn't always like that for every family all the time Mm. so you know just I've been through that Christmas where it's a little bit shitty but I hope that for other people like it did for me it can mean that in the future when things get better they're so much better than they were before and it's in a really really great place really upset that my family had a rough couple of years but we needed to because we figured so much out in that time. But, I mean, your parents mm. have an outlook on Christmas, which is amazing. And between the... Because t- like, now I've got in-laws who have shown me this whole other side of Christmas. Like, my, Yeah, my dad is... It's just his favourite time of the year. It's crazy. When he is that sort of person who drives around scouting out all the other neighbours' light situation because yeah. he needs to have the best lights in the neighbourhood. Full Christmas. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, uh, now, uh, I figured... 
listeners have sent in some really great Christmas questions. And seeing as how the three of us are just sitting here sipping on some eggnog, how is it, by the way? It's I'm, lovely. Yeah, Dad, how's your eggnog? <clears throat> I haven't had any eggnog yet. It's right there. <laughs> have, have a sip of eggnog. Mm, okay, it looks... The, wow. Eggy. Looks like water. It's fucking eggnog. Don't break the Christmas magic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, I'm getting you an imagination for Christmas. Here we go. Okay, so here are some quick fire questions for all of us. Okay, mm. uh, Shirley Cole asked, what is Santa going to bring me? I'm hoping, Shirley, that it's a copy of Loose Units in bookstores right now. Uh, Tegan, what do you think Shirley's going to get for Christmas? The first thing that popped into my head was lingerie. I'm oh. so sorry, Shirley. I don't know. There's just something about Shirley that sounds a bit like, hey, Shirley. Shirley. Have some lingerie. I don't know. Dad, what do you think Shirley's getting for Christmas? Is this what Shirley's getting? Yeah, what do you yeah, think Shirley's getting? That's what Shirley wants to know. I thought it was what, what I was getting. It's not always about you, Dad. No. Well, Shirley, I don't I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I don't know how old you are. Okay. Um, but have you ever considered taking up magic as a hobby? Oh, like um, you mean like illusion? Not illusion. Not conjuring flames from the ether. No, but maybe some uh, a, a packet of card tricks. Oh, yeah, cool. I think she wants the lingerie, but anyway. Yeah. Um, well, we don't know. You know, a, yeah, lot, we, a lot about you. Um, Tegan's right. And of course, Dad, uh, as uh, some listeners will know, but not many, some listeners will know that Dad is quite a fan of uh, sleight of hand and of, of magic tricks. Mm, yeah. I was um, in LA a couple of weeks back with my friend Josh, who was a member at the Magic Castle, which is a gothic castle, turn of the century, where basically you have to be a magician to enter. Or a friend of a magician. And if you remember, you have to have actually auditioned for, like, the Magician's Guild or whatever. So, we rocked up in my friend's replica DeLorean from Back to the Future with the Mr. Fusion on the back in three-piece suits, got ushered into a tunnel and spent the night jetting around this beautiful old building, checking out magic. And the first thing that Josh said was, John would love this. So, next time you're in LA, maybe we can record an episode from Mm. the basement of the Magic Castle. Lovely. Um, Michelle Nichols asks, Dad, have you ever arrested Santa? Michelle, something a bit spooky. Oh. Uh... I have just come back from Auckland. Uh, I had to go over there to hand deliver some paintings. Mm. Exceptional paintings, might I add. Santa hand delivers things too. Yeah. So, when I got off at the airport in Auckland, I saw something that I've never, ever seen in my life. And it was actually, at the airport, a very, very creepy Santa Claus. Really? uh, With kids on his lap. And he looked... Oh look, it was it, it freaked me out. So yeah, I um I thought that was weird to have at an airport. Oh, like a like a department store Santa at an airport. Yeah. How do you know it wasn't like just some guy in a Santa costume? Like well, okay, what he kind was of sitting down and people were? It was a bit weird. That's a bit weird. I mean, you know, you get off a plane, you're all excited, and there's this, and he looked a bit odd. <laughs> I thought he was very very tall, and a bit. I, I checked him out pretty thoroughly. Sure. You know, with my. Sort of my my suspicious uh, glasses on. Yep. But so how do we get onto that? Well, I'm asked, the, uh, what she's asking is what Michelle's asking is: Have you ever had cause to arrest Santa Claus? Well, I probably would have questioned this guy. Really? Maybe. Okay. But you've never arrested someone dressed as Santa? Uh not at Christmas, no. no but like, <laughs> <laughs> that's cryptic. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. But there have been some very dodgy Santas over the years, yes. like scarily so. Yeah, it's kind of a good. Duke. Let's face it: if you're a Santa and you like kids, or let's just step back from that and go: if you like kids and it's Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, there's a great thing you could just dress up as Santa, and maybe have nothing under your suit. Okay. All right. Yep. 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 
That's Sorry. really. I mean, we are we are working towards the end Christmas of the episode. It's a special. This is Sorry. why I can't be on any of the episodes because I'd be like, "All right, that's enough, John." Sorry, yes. sorry. Uh, no, 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 you're fine. Paul Dunn asks, "What are some of the dumbest excuses you've been given while pulling someone over or questioning them in the street, Santa or not?" Wow, that's a um, a very interesting question. Um, Your eyes just went very wide. Yeah. Are you thinking of a specific person or do you find that routine traffic stops just sort of blurred into one for you? Well, I guess if you're in the highway patrol, you get all the cliched things mm. like, oh, it was orange. <laughs> Sometimes it is, though. That's no, it. you're right. But that's a whole nother. Mm. Yeah. We won't go there. Oh, here's a question that's interesting. And maybe we can put this to bed once and for all. Bruce Brownlee wants to know what the joke was. Now... Just to put this, just to bury this once and for all, Dad, could you please give, as a Christmas present, please let's close this episode out with you giving our listeners the ultimate present, revealing what the joke was. Now, was it the one about the... Yes. Okay, so there's this guy. I saw him this morning at the airport. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, sitting next to Santa. That's strange. And uh, he had a lettuce leaf sticking out of his ass. Am I allowed to say ass at Christmas? <laughs> anyway. He's got this lettuce leaf sticking out of his ass, and I actually walked up to him and said, are you aware that you've got a lettuce leaf sticking out of your ass? And he just turned around to me and he said, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's just the tip of the iceberg? Yeah. Because an iceberg is a type of lettuce. No, I know. I get it. Anyway, Merry Christmas, listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this very festive, very strange, uh, guest-filled, wonderful, magical Christmas episode of Loose Units. We hope you're having an absolutely incredible day. Please be safe, be happy, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Say bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.